Let's make today the day you get one step closer to becoming the parent you've always wanted to be and the parent your children deserve. And welcome to Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. I am your host, Erin Taylor, and I have wanted to help parents and children literally since I was 11 years old. I created this podcast to help you make a stronger, healthier, deeper connection to your child, to understand the inevitable challenges a little better, and learn some new ways to navigate them when they occur. Thank you for spending some time with me. Now let's get this show started. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Today is episode 285, and I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Deanne Barrett, and we had a lovely chat last week, and we had so much fun, we decided to come back and do it again. I was on her podcast, and she's going to be on mine today. So welcome, Deanne. And would you take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience? Hi, sure. I'm so grateful to be here um, because the work that I do in the world is with moms who have teenagers and I help them step into their leadership and I call it their radiant leadership because what every mom wants to do is give the love that she has in her heart to her kids. But as our kids get older, it feels like it's harder and harder to do that because they resist and don't want it in the same way that they did when they were little. And that can lead us moms to feeling really hurt and rejected. And so I help women transition into a model of leadership with their children and in their families that feels good so that we can put our energy into the places where it's really going to make a difference. So I worked with teenagers for a really long time in the classroom as a teacher and working with them, but heard so many people say, oh my gosh, you're so brave to work with teenagers. And yes. I thought, you've never known wonderful teenagers. And now that I have my own children, people will say, just wait till she's a teenager. And I think, you know, this has got to stop because we kind of are like warning each other. And that causes so many parents to like white knuckle it through the teen years. Mm -hmm. And I know there are so many opportunities parents are missing because they just don't know what to look for. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I help moms to do is really how do we make the most of those teenage years so we really can have a strong connected relationship with our teens so we can help guide them and direct them even in those moments where they feel like they know everything and they don't need our leadership. They do and they want it and we just have to see those opportunities. I love that so much. And I think you're 100% right. You know, from our previous conversations that I love teenagers as well. And I really always have, even when I worked as a therapist with foster and adoptive and biological families, teenagers were my favorite group to work with. And everybody would, all my coworkers would say, why do you want to work with the teenagers? Because they're awesome. I think they're awesome. And so uh, I do agree with you that a lot of parents warn each other, oh, just wait till they become a teenager. Just wait. You think it's hard now. And I do agree that I think that sets a parent up for 
just expecting a rough ride. And teenagehood is definitely an adventure, I will say, but it doesn't have to be one to be dreaded or feared. And I love the work that you're doing in the world because anything we can do to help parents reduce that fear is good because then, you know, the fear really comes between them and their child. They can't, they can't connect to their teen if they're so fearful that they're micromanaging every step and coming down on them and not giving them any room to breathe or uh, being afraid to guide them and then just hands off like, oh, you're a teenager now. I guess I did what I could. I hope for the best. Neither one of those approaches mm-hmm. is good. So how do you help moms to know how to walk that delicate line in the middle? Yeah, a big part of the work is helping moms understand themselves. Because when we have that fear inside of us, you know, I'm afraid that my kid is going to make mistakes, you know, then we, or I'm afraid that I'm not going to be accepted. That's really part of a lot of things is as I'm going to be accepted. What if my friends actually knew the struggles I was having with my teenager? Then I'm a horrible mom. Feel I'm feeling like I look like a horrible mom. I have not been doing a good job as a parent. I'm embarrassed. I can't tell my friends about it. And so I'm just kind of in shutdown mode, trying to manage things with my teenager. And so when we realize, oh, I see that that's what's happening. And I see that we're kind of in a culture where people aren't sharing a lot about what's happening with their teenagers. You know, when kids are little, we can say, oh, it's this stage. My kid did it. Like my kid has been biting. Like I know it's a stage, you know, I know I'm doing something about it as a parent, but it still is that socially acceptable kind of talk that we have maybe on the playground as we're picking up other kids about what our kids are doing. But when our kids become teenagers, the stakes are a lot higher. The kind of behaviors we're seeing that we might think, I think this is probably developmentally, you know, they're testing the boundaries, they're doing all these things. I, you know, don't need to panic because I think this is manageable, but we're not talking about it anymore with our friends. And part of that is to protect our kids because we don't want work getting around. So there is means that so many parents are isolated. And so when we can recognize that there are all these compounding factors that are leading to us feeling as parents like we're shut down and kind of isolated, then we get to recognize, wait a minute, this is where I am right now with my parenting, with my kid, and there actually is some support around me. There are moms and parents who are going through this. There are people, therapists, coaches, community networks, school counselors who are here to support me through this. And so one of the big pieces is helping moms recognize that that's where they are. Not in this place of shame and guilt that they have to stay in, but in a place of recognizing, wait, I have all of these layers that seem to make it hard for me to reach out for support, but I actually have support. And so recognizing that as a leader, you can see that in a way that your teenager can't see it. So it's up to you as a mom to situate yourself and look around and realize this is where I am. And the next step is to reach out for help because it's there for me. Mm -hmm. And how do you encourage parents to access that help? 
Yeah, so a part a big part of it is helping people understand that they're not alone in it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, things like podcasts are so incredible because you can hear that a lot of people who are going through this and kind of flipping flipping the parenting from being such a private thing to recognizing there are a lot of cultural factors that make it seem like it's my problem as a mom. And instead of realizing, you know, there are a lot of cultural factors and there are things we can do about it individually and collectively. And so we can, we can uh, shift this together. So that's one of the big pieces is helping parents understand that it isn't just up to them. You know, it's not just them parenting in isolation and that what they're experiencing that feels so very personal actually is more common than they might think because it's not covered in the news. Only the really horrible stories are covered in the news, but those daily struggling and that internal struggle is a part of being a parent and helping them recognize that, that that's what's going on in everybody's hearts and in everybody's homes. And they're not alone in that. That's such a good point. It's such a good point. When, when the, the, when the kids get older and the stakes get higher, it is so true that it's harder for parents to feel comfortable uh, discussing what their kids might be, their teens might be going through because they're, they don't want the judgment that they feel will be coming from their peers. And I never thought of this before, but you bring up a really good point too, that it's also about protecting uh, our kids because when they're, if they're three years old and biting, and we lament this biting phase with our friend down the street who also has a three-year-old. Our three-year-old doesn't care if we're talking to another mom about them biting. They don't have any clue about it. But if our teenager is, let's say, experimenting with drugs or something, or having sex at a young age, wow, that's a whole different story, number one, to share because we fear the judgment of the other parent but number two we're now sharing their personal experience of life and they have a much higher interest in who knows about that than they did when they were three <laughs> absolutely and and so they should and so i think incredible times that we're living in now is that people can connect in communities digitally where it's not your neighbor down the street, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the people in your small town, but it's other parents who are saying, these are the things we're walking through. How do we do this well? And how do we really care for our kids in a way that will help them to make healthy decisions and make positive choices in their lives? That is true. We have access to so many wonderful groups out there, especially through Facebook, where we can connect with people who are going through a similar, a similar phase of life with their, not, not only their teens, but any age group, but particularly teens, because like you said, it's so easy to share the woes of toddlerhood or, you know, my four, my five-year-old is having a hard time adjusting to homework in kindergarten. Well, everybody understands that, but then once they get to teenagehood, it's a little different. So it is true that there are so many great resources out there for people to connect up. 
And I think I realized that one of the advantages that you and I have and people who are working with parents is that we hear so many of those stories that are like the inside story that Mm -hmm. they're maybe not willing to share with others. And Mm -hmm. so we see how typical some behaviors are. And so one of the first questions almost every parent asks me is they'll explain their teen's behavior and they'll say, is this normal? Mm -hmm. And I answer that in two ways. On one hand, let's take normal off the table because whether it's normal or not, that's really a mathematical term. Is it a norm? Is it statistically, you know, normal? So let's take that off the table because normal or not, that's the situation you're handling as a parent. That's the situation you're navigating with your kid. And on the other hand, I totally understand that question Mm -hmm. because we want to know what it's really asking is, are other people dealing with this? Mm-hmm. Are there models for other people who have handled this, who are working through this with their kid? Because, you know, I'll have a mom say, my, my teen isn't normal. You know, they have all these things that are not the typical teenager, developmental delays or learning difficulties or exceptionalities. And so the question of is it normal doesn't apply anymore because this is your kid at the stage they're at. And it's really getting a good read on who is your child what state and understanding the peer group they're in, the culture they have at school, their cognition, all of those things, parents are really keyed into that. And then it's asking the question, now what? Knowing all of that information, then how do you make wise decisions? And also recognizing that your teenager is really the expert in their life circumstances. And so they get, and the way this shows itself in the biggest kind of way is kids understand the social situation around them a lot better than parents do because they're the ones that are at the school living in the classroom. And so sometimes parents will say, well, you should just do this. And the kids are like, there's no way that would work in my situation. You just don't understand the situation that I'm in. And so that's why I always help see their role as getting curious about the situation that their kid is in and the way they understand it and getting their kid to do some of the heavy lifting in terms of the problem solving because they're the one that is going to have to go back into the situation and make the decisions so if we can prompt our kid to think about different possibilities that actually would work they're likely to think about solutions in their own situation Rather than our default as parents is thinking, I have lots of life experience, so I'll just tell you how you need to handle this. And they're like, I don't want to do that because that's your way and not mine. And you don't get my situation. So the more we can help our teens understand the situation that they're in and ask them, would it be possible to do this? Or how do you think that you can solve that? or have you thought about about it or your best friend or your teacher and just asking those questions around the situation to get them to do the heavy lifting that takes us out of worrying about what's normal what other people are doing and really positions our teen as the expert in their life because they're the ones that are going to have to execute our strategy we might want to suggest to them i love that so much because i think one of the hardest transitions for parents to make is going from having a younger child where they really, the parent really is the main 
organizer of life when their children are young. You know, they decide what food is in the pantry available to the child. They decide what's going to be cooked for dinner. They, they set up the play dates. They set up the, the schooling. They set up the activities, hopefully with their child's input on a lot of it. But still, the parent is really kind of running the show when the kids are young. But then suddenly and almost violently, shockingly, and overnight, they wake up, you know, go through puberty and they wake up one day and they, if they haven't expressed it before, suddenly they are telling, screaming at you, I want to call the shots. I want to have sovereignty over my life, my schedule, my choices. I want to do it myself. And that can be a shocking transition for parents to make. So I always encourage parents to think about to always have the goal of being of the goal of raising an independent adult. Like that's the goal even on the day the child is born. It's inconceivable to think of it that at that time, but if you can always have that as the goal, then at each step along the way, you're trying to give them as much freedom and independence and responsibility as you possibly can. The freedom to a five-year-old looks a lot different than freedom to a 16-year-old. But if you've incrementally done it, it becomes easier. But even if you haven't done it, you're going to have to figure it out and quickly because, you know, once they hit 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you have dwindling number of years to to have a big, big impact in your child's life before they're going to fly the nest and do whatever the next chapter holds for them. So how do you help parents who maybe haven't had that goal in mind since the child was born and then suddenly they're faced with a child who was just so sweet and agreeable and said yes to everything and listened so, listened so well, quote unquote, and now suddenly they're talking back. They're not doing what I ask them to do. I don't know what to do. How do you help them to abruptly make that transition when they haven't done it yet? A big piece of that is shifting our perspective on what a great outcome looks like. I love that you described, you know, they listen, they listen really well, they, which means they do what we ask them to do. Right. And when we really think about that, do we want our child to always do what an authority has asked them to do? And we might initially think, well, yeah, but think about historically, the people in power, do they always ask us to do things that are healthy, reasonable things? Mm. Not always. Mm -mm. And so instead, what we want is someone who can make a decision and recognize, do I value and respect this leader's leadership? Is this a person I want to follow? Because everyone, you know, parents are worried about peer pressure. You know, I don't want my kid to be a follower except when it's at home and you're the leader, right? Because then it's convenient and easy. Yes. And so even when your kid is pushing back, understand that this has the potential to be a great quality in them. Absolutely. Because they're judging for themselves whether they want to follow. And we need that. 
we incredibly, and I'm speaking from experience here because I have one child who, you know, is happy to follow and one who never is. So I get it. This can, can wear you down as a parent when you feel like it's constantly a fight. But when you recognize, okay, I want my child to be able to evaluate whether I'm going to follow this or not. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, how do you stay connected in your relationship? So I said this was about shifting the focus of an outcome. So if the outcome is put these clothes on and get dressed, which is, you know, a daily thing in my household because my daughter is small. Okay, so here's some time to get dressed. And the answer is no. It's like, well, you know, coaxing along the way and giving her choices. What do you want to wear to get dressed? And eventually she realized, yes, I do need clothes. I am not going to go to school in my pajamas. So I'll make a decision and get dressed. Mm -hmm. But the whole time, a great outcome is that our relationship has been positive and we've stayed connected. And even when moments where it doesn't feel so positive, but I'm, you know, marching her along to this outcome. Okay. She's dressed. She understands she needs to be dressed for school and we have kept our relationship intact. So a good example in the teenage world is um, getting to soccer practice and going out to someone's house first, right? Parents are always like, but you need to get to soccer practice on time. That's the outcome they want. And in the meantime, they are not always very caring in the way that they are approaching that with their teen because their teenagers saying, I want to go to Jimmy's house and hang out and then I'll get to soccer practice. I can make it happen, mom. And mom's like, I you know, don't trust that you're going to be able to make that happen. You're going to be late for soccer practice. And so in this situation, how do you ask your teen the questions? How are you going to get to Jimmy's house and get yourself to soccer practice? And then just wait, Mm. because then that child has to come up with a solution. And if they give kind of a half answer, like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. As a parent, you can say, I'd like some more details to be filled in here, Mm -hmm. you know, because you've made a commitment to this team. And again, how are you going to make this happen? And so the adult's role is really pointing out some gaps that the team needs to fill because sometimes teens don't even see that there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I hadn't thought about that part of it. And so you're just prompting them to think about it. And then you're willing to let them have that experience. Okay, so they're gonna figure out, they're gonna go to Jimmy's house, they've arranged for Sam's mom to pick them up on the way because they live nearby and they're gonna make it to soccer practice. And then, okay, they've fulfilled all the things that you required of them, which is getting themselves to soccer on time. And if something falls through and it doesn't work, then you figure out as a parent, how are we gonna clean this up? And how are we going to fix this mistake so it doesn't happen again? And so if we see it as, a process of them making those plans, us saying, okay, you've made your plan. Let's see how it goes. And then if it doesn't go well, picking up the pieces, what do we do differently next time? Because that's exactly the process that they'll have over and over and over again in adult life, right? Mm -hmm. We make a plan. We see how it goes. Then we recalculate. And this is how we build resilience in teens and in our adult life is we realize, yeah, I'm not happy with the outcome and we pick it up again. But if teens know that their parents are along with them for that journey, then they recognize their parents are part of their support team. They're one of the resources they can use. Mom, help me think through how I'm going to make this happen. 
and they know that you're one of the people that can help them in that cycle rather than what sometimes happens is because we're all busy we just want to do what's quick and easy and we'll make all the plans and get it all sorted out and now the kid just has to lockstep them in into that plan mm -hmm. so if we can shift it and be the person that helps them think things through in a level of detail that maybe they weren't able to do on their own again they're positioned in that space of being the one who's having to learn how to think through it so they can make that decision along the way so looking at instead of the perfect outcome of your kid getting to every activity perfectly on time you're looking at how can i be connected with them help them make decisions but help them learn how to go through that process of planning and executing a plan and evaluating it and that's really a cycle of critical thinking that is so important for teens to develop because they're not naturally good at it which is why it can feel really frustrating when you're the parent trying to get them to do that but those are the skills that they need to build to be healthy resilient adults so it's about shifting the focus it's not about executing everything perfectly it's about helping them learn how to do that process I cannot tell you how much I love all of what you just said. And there are so many brilliant points that I want to try to highlight for our listeners because, wow, it was so good. One of the things I think is amazing about what you said is you're helping them to practice strengthening their critical thinking skills. And that is definitely a lifelong skill that they will need to employ as an adult day after day after day after day after day whether it's work school friendships relationship you know significant other relationships parenting themselves anything the relationship with themselves it's all about that and so i was thinking as you were talking about that i was also thinking about how the a teen's brain isn't fully they now understand that a teen's brain isn't fully mature until somewhere around the mid-20s so and the last part to mature is that executive functioning part in the front of our brains which controls planning judgment um, organization and things like that so when you gave that great example of wanting to go to jimmy's house before soccer you know the child knew that soccer was on the schedule for tonight but then this opportunity to hang out with jimmy came up out of the blue unexpected and of course their impulse control it's their friend and friendships are so vital to teenagers it's like their oxygen so when jimmy calls and says hey come hang out instantaneously they're going to jump at it and say yes let's do it and then you come along as mom and say well but you have soccer tonight how's that going to work Oh, I'll just work it out. Well, mm, I see some gaps in that. So can you give me more details about how this is actually going to play out so we can make sure we can see if you can do it? And so the impulse to go is there. The impulse control is not necessarily. So you're, as the mom, you're seeing the gap and you're just kind of reminding them to, well, before we jump at this, let's just go back and take one more look and make sure we've we have a plan from A to Z that's going to actually work. So I love that. And then I also love if it doesn't work out, 
then you just go back and you say, okay, well, let's look at what the plan was. Let's look at where the crack was, where it broke down, and what can we do the next time this comes up to make sure the plan can be executed successfully. But I think the other important thing is that if the plan seems good enough, you know, a solid enough that it could work and then it fails, or if the plan has some holes in it and it fails. It's so important for the parent when they revisit that and say, let's see how we can tweak it to make it successful next time, that they don't go with a, I told you this wasn't going to work out attitude. Because if we hammer our kids who are just going to make mistakes, it's just inevitable. That's how they're learning. If we hammer them with, I told you so, I knew it wasn't going to work out, I'm the expert, I have the life experience, you don't, you should have listened to me, I told you from the beginning, it will shut them down and shut them, it will shut the door, it will slam the door in our faces so that they will not see us as a person that they can come to. Like, I love how you said, mom, can you help me think this through? I need to solve this thing or make this work. Can you help me think it through? If you come at them with the I told you so attitude, they will never come to you as their one of their trusted advisors. Never, ever. They will just try to figure it out on their own and keep making mistakes and spinning their wheels, and they won't have that trusted advisor to help them. So I love that. I love it. And one of the things that I keep seeing with parents is, you described it really well. You know, when they're young, we have control over their environment and we set it up for their success. You know, we get them to bed on time. We feed them nutritious things. And what happens when they get to be teenagers is a lot of parents feel like, I invested all this time and energy in setting you up for success, and now you're screwing it up. You're eating junk food. You're staying up late. You're doing all of these things. <laughs> I have failed. And, and, this is when it, and then this is when it matters the most, because now you're in high school and your grades are important, and we have all of these layers of stress, because we feel like all those things that I did when you were young don't count, because now you're screwing it up, and now is when it matters most. And so I know that a lot of people are hearing that going like, oh gosh, that's absolutely happening. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I want to say to all of those parents is that you have done the best job that you can at every stage. And now it's about figuring out what that looks like at this stage. And it's not about micromanaging what they're eating. You can still healthy food in the pantry and say, in our home, this is how we eat. And then your kid gets to understand contrast. At our home, this is how we eat. At Jimmy's house, this is how they eat. Or with my friends, this is how we eat. And if they start to see there are different ways that people do things, that can seem really threatening because we're like, yeah, now they just are going to want junk food all the time or pizza every night or whatever it is. But we recognize, you know what, this is actually good for them because there's no way in our family culture that we're going to give them everything they need. They're going to want to do things differently in their life. And so they get to see how other people live their lives and they're going to pull some pieces from that to make their life what it is. And this is how they're going to 
step out in their home and not want to live with us forever. Mm-hmm. And so when we can switch it and say, yeah, right now they might not be making the best decisions in terms of their diet, for example, but you know what? My kid is learning how to get the feedback from their own body of what feels good because some kids will say, I've been eating junk all weekend. I need to go home and eat a salad. And they might not ever tell their parents that, but they know because they are learning to live differently and learning to receive the feedback from their own system and figure out what's working for them. And they actually need that so that they're willing to go out and be brave enough to go out on their own and live their own life. So again, if we can, sometimes we get mired in the everyday because we know that that's where our parenting happens is in those everyday interactions. But we can, when we can zoom out a little bit and see big picture, which is my kid at, if they're a teenager, they're going out into the world and seeing how it's working out there and they're coming back to the safety of home. Mm-hmm. And then they're going out again and coming back into the safety of home. So as a parent, we can just trust that what we're doing in our homes is providing a clear, clear understanding. This is how we do it here. And understanding that when they go out and see a different way, they're going to try that on like a different pair of clothes. And that's what they need to do. And so we don't need to feel like it's an attack on us and our values and all the things we've instilled. We can stay steady like a like this beacon of light and we love you and we can see that you're trying on different ways of living and that you need to do that for your growth and keep coming back with strength to and this is how we do it here in this home you know this is what we believe is important and that's all you can do not shame them for trying on different things but just remind them this is what's important here in our home this is what we've always said is important this is how we do it here to give them that contrast of what it's like somewhere else and what we're all about here. So two things I want to highlight there with what you just said. Number one, I think going continuously and confidently just gently reinforcing this is what we do here. This is what we believe. This is how we eat. This is how we treat our bodies, whatever. You're continuously planting those seeds. If you're not crushing your child with that with that heavy-handed you know that has to be this way but just this is how our family operates you're you're just kind of setting up uh you're planting seeds and you might not see those seeds begin to sprout immediately but you'll see glimpses, most likely you'll see glimpses, little tiny glimpses. And I think of those glimpses as the little tiny piece of green that shoots out of the ground first. So in time, it might not be now, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next year. It might be when they're 20 or 25, but those, or 30, but those seeds that we've planted about how we feel is a good way to live a good healthy life or a happy life or whatever with values, they're going to come back and they're going to show themselves at some point along the way. We just have to be patient and trust that all we can do is just keep coming back to this is how we believe, this is our values, this is how we do it. Uh, And then the other thing that I wanted to highlight, which was really good, and now it's slipping out of my mind. Let me see if I can remember it. 
Oh my gosh. What did you say that was so good? I'm losing it. Oh my gosh. Let me just add one more thing about that. Staying steady about your values and your beliefs and kind of the way you've set up your home. Another really awesome thing about teenagers is they are seeing how things are done a different way. And there may be something really great that they want to bring into how your family operates. So you can ask them, you know, know, they might say like, ah, Jimmy's house, you don't have to like sit down and eat dinner together every night. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, if we can take a minute and let go of feeling defensive, like what, you don't like our family dinners, that's what's pulling us together. And you can say, you know, honey, do you think it would be helpful if we had maybe one night a week that was more flexible? And, you know, your kid might say, oh, yes, can we please do that? There may be things that you can ask, you know, what would make life feel better? What would take away a little bit of stress? What would feel a little bit more flexible? And have some willingness to try and experiment. Okay, for the next two weeks, let's say Thursday night, you fend for yourself for dinner. You know, you can go to a friend's house, you can make your own meal. We don't have to eat all together and feel like every night it's all together all the time. And so if we can all find those opportunities to connect with our kids and say, what do you need? How can we make this, you know, more workable for you? What can we try? And have that lightness, that playfulness, and that willing to experiment. Let's try this new thing. Maybe that's what will be great. Then they'll recognize that our interest is in them feeling like they have a place to lower their stress, that we're able to be flexible, that we're willing to shift some things to accommodate their needs right now. And that can build a lot of of trust and connection as well. So I know that sounds like a contradictory message, but it's staying really strong in what you value and also recognizing there are ways that you could be flexible with the ways that you do things that still meet your values. Mm And I really, and so help, but we can also be flexible sometimes. I really love that because sometimes another family might do it differently than us, but not worse than us. And if we're open to hearing our teens suggestions or ideas, or they went out into the world and they experienced this new thing, it's like going to a new culture and they saw this really cool way of doing things and they want to tell us about it and if we're willing to hear them and be open-minded and say hey if you like that let's try it that just makes the those lines of communication even more open and it it really shows our teens that they they can really trust us because it's not just a one-way street where we're just imparting knowledge to them and wisdom all the time they can also bring something to us because absolutely they're going to go out into the world and they're going to see something being done that may be equally as good as how we do it or even better and if they can bring that and be the teachers for us that is priceless priceless i love it so that i did remember the other thing i wanted to highlight uh you were okay. talking about teaching uh teaching our teens how to tune into their bodies and what works for them and what doesn't work for them just yesterday this happened in my home my 16 year old has is suffering with his spring allergies right now so mm. his sinuses are clogged his nose is dripping he's got post nasal drip you know he's just a mess from his neck up 
and he poured himself a glass of chocolate milk and he didn't finish it. He actually only took a drink of it and then left a whole glass of it. And I, I noticed that and I asked him about it. Oh, you're not finishing that. And instead of like hammering him, why did you waste that or something? I just asked him and he said, Oh, I can't finish that because you know, when you drink dairy, it kind of can make you more phlegmy or mucusy. He said, uh, one drink of that. And I know that right now with my allergies, I can't, I can't drink that whole glass of milk. It will not be good for me. And I said, okay, fine. That's great that you know that about yourself. And so uh, that's just a tiny example, but it's a great example of, of really having them learn about listening to their bodies. Too much junk food, maybe you need to peel back a little bit. Too much caffeine and you couldn't go to sleep, maybe you need to revisit that. Um, you know, you've been eating so well and now there's a birthday party coming up. Enjoy that piece of cake, you know, whatever it is like that, but really teaching them. And that doesn't just go for diet either. That can go for stress reduction. You know, you're really, you've been really uh, burning the midnight oil on your projects. And now you just turned in your last project, took your last test. Maybe it's time for some relaxation since you've been working so hard, but really teaching them how to, or encouraging them to keep tuning back into themselves instead of listening to that external source. What a gift. And you're right. There are those things we can do to prompt them because our teens don't always connect the dots, but we can help them connect the dots. You know, you can say, oh, honey, you seem really tired. Do you think it's related to the staying up really late on your homework two nights ago? Oh, yeah. I had only thought about what I did yesterday, but I realized mm -hmm. two nights ago I stayed up really late. And so asking that question, do you think it's related to, mm -hmm. prompts them to think about what is this related to? So they can see those pieces and connect the dots. You know, sometimes it's really clear, like that example of your son is great. Like, I just can't do it because of this whole sinus thing. But sometimes they're, they're not really great at connecting those dots so we can prompt them. Do you think it's connected to? And then they're thinking about, yeah, what is that related to? What and can I, I do to change this to improve it? But I think the most important thing, and each time you give this ex an example like this, I hope that my listeners are listening to your tone of voice because you could ask that question, right? Do you think it might be, you, I noticed that you look really tired. Do you think it might be because you stayed up so late on your homework two nights ago? You can ask it like that or you can go, you look really tired. Do you think maybe you stayed up too late two nights in a row or two nights ago? And if you have that, I told you tone that, that, reprimanding scolding tone in your voice you will shut them down so fast and i think across all the different things that we've talked about today i think if parents could walk away with that as the most important directive if we were giving them a directive to really be careful of your tone of voice and if you ask a question, ask it with pure and genuine curiosity and with a, with a spirit of an advisor and not a dictator who's going to point out how they screwed up and you shouldn't have, should have listened to me and I told you your way wasn't going to work. 
That's the worst thing you can do with a teenager. I often think about um, and notice the way people will treat their pets, their family pet. And it's with this sweet voice. Mm -hmm. And when we, and also when we are meeting someone else's child. Mm -hmm. And the reasons why is because we don't have the same expectation. Mm -hmm. But when we have an adolescent, we feel like, you and I have been together for a lot of years. You should get this by now. You should listen to me more often. And we have that buildup. So sometimes it takes like that beginner's mind. And so something to keep in mind as you're practicing this is, if this were a puppy, what tone of voice would I use? Mm -hmm. You know, if this was someone else's teenager, how would I approach this? Because I don't really know them very well. Mm -hmm. Or... I had the advantage of being a teacher for a long time. And so I worked with a lot of people's kids and had to learn a tone of voice that would be connecting mm -hmm. rather than pushing them away. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes if we can think about, yeah, how would I speak to the family pet that I wouldn't, I mean, it's a dog. I would expect that it doesn't know better, or I would expect that I want it to be, you know, able to get along and I don't want to be aggressive toward it. Same thing applies with our kids. And we know that. And when we're at a calm moment, we'd be like, of course, but we get into that moment of frustration, of stress, of overwhelm. And so taking a deep breath and just thinking, how would I say this to a kid who's not mine? Can really help us orient ourselves to how we're going to approach them with, with the level of care that we really feel for them rather than the familiarity that breeds that tone that we feel like they should just get it by now. Mm -hmm. So the beginner's mind is often helpful. Coming back to, you know, this is a fresh day. It's first thing in the morning. How do I want to connect with this person? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think we have come up and uncovered so many beautiful golden nuggets for parents especially of teenagers today. And I think even parents of younger kids because they may not have a teen now, but they will eventually. And all of these things that you and I have discussed today are going to help them trans make that transition a little less aggressive and painful for everyone. They can just ease into those teenage years instead of hurtling at breakneck speed into them. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll just share that my kids are young. You know, mine are in grade two and kindergarten. And I use these same strategies of asking them, how would you do it differently next time? What could you do in that situation if it happens again? Because even little ones are able to think about multiple solutions to a problem. Mm -hmm. And so we can use that strategy no matter how young they are, because it prompts them that they can start to be the problem solver. And so we talk a lot about using strategies and solving problems with my kids, even when they're playing. And so my kids will say, mom, look at this strategy I tried. And it's like, I love it. Sure. Because you know, there are multiple ways of solving the problem and you can just keep being a problem solver until it's solved. So this isn't limited to just adolescence. And the gift I had as a teacher was to see how well my students could solve problems and then the contrast of what their parents believed about their problem-solving abilities was a huge one. So if you get one thing from listening in, it's that no matter what age your kids are at, you can prompt them to be their own problem-solver because they're 
a lot more capable than sometimes we give them credit for. So true. So, so true. Oh, I love everything we talked about. I would love to have you back on so that we can chat again in a future episode because I think that you have such wonderful nuggets of wisdom to share with parents. Absolutely. I'll be back. Super. Well, thank you so much, Deanne, for sharing this time with us today and for sharing all those great ideas with parents. I think that any parent who listens to this episode is going to walk away feeling just a little less stressed and fearful and maybe just a little more confident. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening and hanging with us today. Yes. All right. That wraps up today's episode. Wherever you are in this world, I hope that you make it a pleasant and confident day for yourself. That wraps up this episode of Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. If you know anyone who could benefit from this episode or this podcast in general, please share it with them. Also, I always love hearing feedback from my listeners. I welcome you to send me an email to Aaron at Aaron-Taylor.com if you have any comments or questions that come up for you in an episode. Our children are our future. Parenting them is the most sacred task we will ever be asked to do. It truly does take a village to raise a child. Let's help each other to raise our children to be who it is they are meant to be. If at any point you feel like you need a little extra help and support, reach out to me. I am here to help you.